now the cleanest hour in podcasting with your host, Ralph Peterson. This is the Housekeepers Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Housekeepers Podcast. I am your host, Ralph Peterson, and I am so excited. I have just popped up a ton of boxes for some reason. Little boxes on a hillside. Little boxes made a ticky-tacky. You didn't know that you were going to come in and just enjoy the pipes that I have. I'm, you're welcome. You're bringing it. You're bringing you're it. Welcome. Yeah, yes, exactly. You're welcome. Yes, exactly. Rob, you're fixing, Rob you're Bernardi. Bernardi. That is I. That is I. I. I got to tell you, I have been writing your name down for a couple of weeks now, like we're dating. You know, when you pull out the... You know, like when you're always you know, writing you and whoever on the notebook. Yeah. And I recognize maybe four or five days ago, now I have advertised your name a few times. Like, hey, Rob Bernard is going to be on the show. I keep forgetting there's an R. So I may have been calling you Rob Bernardi. Bernardi. <laughs> not Bernardi. Bernardi. Well, you're from New York. So that's good. Yeah, you're, well, you know, not. I was just saying. <laughs> I, know, I know you're not from there, not, but you're living yeah. there. So yeah. Pick, pick it up. I don't mind being lumped in with New Yorkers, but uh, to sure. be clear, I'm, uh, sure. I'm more of a Bostonian, a Bostonian. If, uh, if we're going to be accurate on the podcast, which is what we're going to be doing here. Housekeepers podcast, cleanest hour in podcast. I'm so excited to have you on. And we've been talking for a while. Marcus actually was on and he's good friends with you as well, right? That's yeah, yeah, definitely. Mark's a great guy. Amazing. That's how that's how you and I got connected. And mm-hmm. I'm super excited to meet you because you currently are supervisor at Joliet School District. Correct. Yeah, one of the it's in the top ten largest school districts in Illinois. So we got uh twenty three buildings. I mean I work with 120 custodial staff and maintenance about 1.5 million square feet, all old buildings, nothing's new around here, you know? So it's, it keeps us on our toes. You know what I mean? Yeah, no question. I can't, the amount of gum, that's all like every time, you know? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Under, especially summer mask cleaning underneath the desk. I mean, how many we could scrape off? I mean, it's insane. It is insane. We should, we could create artwork with it, you know? Yeah, no question. No question. <laughs> Okay, well, we are currently live on YouTube, which I don't know why nothing else is working, but that's okay. We will, I'll rebroadcast it live on Facebook and LinkedIn. I apologize. I don't know why that's not working right this second. But rather than try to figure out in real time, I'd rather talk to you and then and then we can share the real time video. How's that sound? That sounds perfect, man. You're the good. boss. You're good, the boss. Good. I like you in the boss. <laughs> you know, what's funny is I was on a mastermind call today. And I don't know if you ever belong to a mastermind call, but they're pretty great. It's, you know, just a bunch of professionals all on the same page. And we're all, we give each other like 15, 20 minutes to kind of, you know, explain a business problem we're having or some issue that we're having. And then we all just try to brainstorm with each other and try to support, you know, add some insight. It's Mm -hmm. really great. And this woman was having a little bit of a leadership problem. And so, you know, I just offered a couple of insights, nothing too crazy. And, you know, a bunch of us did. And it just, you know, they were like, oh, you know, she was like, you know, it's really great insight on your part. And I just reminded her, you know, when you're when you're a professional manager, your job is to eat crow. I mean, that's kind of the job. Yeah. Is to constantly apologize, constantly go, oh, you didn't mean it that way. We know you did. We know you did. But I'm going to go ahead and let you save face. I won't save face. I'll let you save face. Right. Like it's that. It's true. I think, again, with, you know, especially in leadership, a lot of times we have to be able to say sorry for yesterday. It's, you know, it's yesterday, right? And a lot of times they can't let it go. So for us to be, you know, the leader, right? I mean, you know, the manager type to just say, hey, I'll let it go. Just let me help you. And the way to help them is just by saying you're sorry. Hey, man, I apologize. You know, let's step, let's just move forward. And obviously the next step is give them direction on where you're going from there. Right. So you apologize for yesterday and then, Hey, now it's on you, you know, I'll take the heat on the last one, but I need your help on this one. So, you know, and it's just following up with it, but yeah, no, it's a great advice. So many people are afraid to say, sorry, it's, it's not that hard. You know? Well, sometimes I'm not sorry. Well, that's and... true. That's why I always say apologize. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> the word apologize is the right term. The word apologize, you know, that's a, yeah, that's one thing I learned in leadership was like, always say, you know, don't say sorry. Cause they know you don't mean it. You know, say you apologize or deeply apologize. Or I'm sorry this happened to you. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry you took it that way. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's all I mean is that I too, and I'm, I mean this sincerely, mm-hmm. I too want to throw myself on the ground and act like a seven year old flailing my arms and legs and throwing a temper tantrum. I too want to oh. do it. I know I can't. <laughs> and I, you know what I mean? Like the only difference between you and me is I know I can't, but I want to, just so we're all on the same page. <laughs> I too want to act like a, I want to be unreasonable. I want to be belligerent. I want to use curse words. I too want to raise my voice. <laughs> That's what we do when we get home. That's how, you know, my wife has to tolerate that. So yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> That's why, why I love it. <laughs> why are you giving me a hard time? Because I can't give anybody else one, okay? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Exactly. Goodness, I just asked him if you wanted green beans for dinner. I got a lecture <laughs> on coming to work on time. I don't know what's going on here. On the sense of urine. Why am I talking about urine when we talked about green beans? I don't know. Whatever. It just it goes that way. <laughs> All right, Rob, let's start. Let's go back to the beginning. And where did you grow up? What was it like for you growing up? Are you always from where you are now in the Chicago area? Yeah, I've always grew up in Chicago. Uh, grew up in a small suburb just west of there. Very small called Marrow's Park. All Back then, it was, you know, all Italian, so pretty much grew up with that type of culture of, you know, I mean, a lot of people that were even connected, my family, my friend's family was connected, so just kind of going through that type of scene. And um, what, Wait, 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 don't run by this. What does connected mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> connected means connected to the mafia, you know, the Chicago mafia, stuff like that. So we've seen a lot of that growing up. So Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of... A lot of the stuff in that area was tied to that. They're no longer around now, but I'm not. So, what was that like growing up around? What, what do you? What uh, do, you know, just kind of, you know, we were, we got started working young, you know, just working young, knowing the, you know, we had the hustle, you know, protect your territory, you know, stick together, teamwork, you know. I use those polite terms, you know, but it was kind of a crew, you know. We were a brotherhood. We stuck together, you know, and uh, watched each other's back, stuff like that. So it was, it was a tougher neighborhood, you know. We we're constantly battling. And in Chicago, there's a couple other Italian neighborhoods around there, like called Elmwood Park, Addison, stuff like that. So they always wanted to be the better ones than us. So, you know, it was always like a kind of a conflict growing up with that. But uh, I wouldn't say it was just, you know, it wasn't an easy walk in the park, I guess. You know, it was just uh, grew up, you know, divorced parents, young, very, very poor, not, you know, not a lot of money. But, you know, we got through it. So, yeah. Did you find yourself? How many are you like? How many siblings do you have? Yeah, just me and my brother. So okay. just me and my brother. Yeah, my brother's older. And then, uh, yeah. Do you have like my- cousins though? Did you have like a large extended family or is it just kind of like the neighborhood took care of the neighborhood? Yeah, our family was our friends, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. we just, uh, the people we surrounded ourselves, the, you know, we had a couple of good friends that their family was tight, you know, and we would always all stay with them and spend a lot of time with them. They would feed us stuff like that when we couldn't get food, stuff like that. So, you know, it was just, that was our extended family. I had a lot of uncles, so... And a lot of them stayed in the same house as we did. We all lived in like my grandma's house. So, oh, right, right. Yeah. So because where my, you know, my, my parents got divorced. So it was just kind of like that very busy house. A lot of guys, you know, like if you wanted to say something, you had to yell at the dinner table. <laughs> you know, who, who could yell the loudest, you know, until grandpa put his hammer down, you know, and it's like, all right, we shut up, you know. But uh, yeah, it was just an interesting childhood. But, uh, you know, like I said, it, it prepares us for the future, right? Yeah, a million percent. So. What was your first job? I mean, you said you started to work early. Did you get like, were you like a little entrepreneur? Or were you out there? No, great question. You know, I started off at around 10 years old. Well, you know, we would make money on the side, running things for obviously some of the people in the neighborhood, you know, family, running things as envelopes, stuff with like bookies, stuff like that, you know, gambling stuff. You know, we would go and take care of that. That was obviously the first real, not considered job job, but we really, <laughs> don't, we, we really don't. When I got into work, it was uh, 14 years old. You know, they let us, they let us work at 14, you know, now, you know, we can get paid back then, but I was, uh, just started at a grocery store, you know, just, uh, grabbing carts, you know, at 14, I was already out on my own at the time too. So I'd already moved out, living on my own, uh, paying rent, you know, at 14. So what what do you mean? Were you like going and grabbing grocery carts that people left on the streets or collecting them down? How how is that? No, just like in a grocery store, like Jewel, you know, I mean, like, uh, like Walmart, you know, uh, we were the cart guys, you know, so they did it at 14. At 14, you were allowed to work up to 7 p.m. So as soon as I got out All of school, right. I worked till 7 p.m. If mm-hmm. I had a work permit through high school, mm-hmm. they give you those permits. I don't even know if they do that anymore. But, yeah, they do. They do. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. So they, um, 
so yeah, I, I was doing that and just stayed in a grocery store. And then, you know, once I got old enough, 16, you know, worked my way inside the store, you know, and just that's kind of how I started was in that industry. And what store, what was a grocery store called? Like a Kroger's or? It was a family, small family owned business called Century Foods. They were a Centrella brand. I don't know if you guys got Centrella Foods out there. No. Yeah. So in Chicago, there's like a, you know, they, the Centrella brand is like a brand that supports a lot of small family owned grocery store businesses. You don't see a lot of them anymore. All of them are pretty much, you know, bought up now. Um, you don't see a lot of mom and pop grocery stores anymore. Yeah. No, they're pretty much, yeah, like I said, yeah, they're, they're just bought up. So, but back then it was awesome because, you know, learned a lot. They gave you a lot of opportunity. You know, if you were there, you were on time, you're putting in the work, you know, they had no problem, you know, devoting time to you where you're not just kind of like a number, you know, you see in the corporate America, you know? So I, yeah, that I, was it. I, I got to say, there's an awful lot to showing up on time. <laughs> It starts there, right? Yeah, no, it's just really it it does not to put too fine of a point on things, but if you no. show if you give somebody who just shows up on time and then works when they're there, you only have to work hard. If you show up and work, I mean you're ahead of the game. You're ahead <laughs> of the game. It is. It is. And you know, that is like the number one thing. It's sad that, you know, I just conducted training for my team and that's one thing that, you know, I had to review again. And it's just sad that we have to do that. But you have to, you know, you just every day, yeah, every yep. day. And it's not, you know, it's funny how, I don't know what your experience is, but in my experience, it's funny how every generation thinks the generation under them is, you know, a lazy SOB in one sense or another. Mm-hmm. But the truth is I have every generation struggling to get to work. Amen. And some older generations are the worst offenders. I agree. I, and I mean, if they yeah. do get to work, they have an attitude and a chip on their shoulder. As we if, owe them something. Yeah. As, as I was going to say, as if I should be not only giving them a paycheck, but, you know, also providing them a wheelchair and, but, so they ain't going to walk from one area to the next. Exactly. God forbid, you know. And lunch. You got to give them lunch. <laughs> got to give them lunch. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget that. High I mean, fives. Just, yeah. Not just the time for lunch. I mean, you have to actually buy the meal, you know, for them yeah. daily. So, and even when they do, they say they don't. It's a struggle. But yeah. It is goes back to the basics and it's amazing how that is becoming more dominant, you know, of a feature of things you got to look into when you're interviewing, when you're trying to hire, you know, can you just, can you show up to the interview on time? I mean, simple things like that. I mean, it's just crazy. You know, what's fun is I love large companies, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to, if you pay attention to their marketing, their recruiting, whatever they're doing, and I remember I got my I got my first writing job, my first official writing job at a radio station called Sison Broadcasting. And there was a program manager who asked me to go spend the weekend in a hotel hours away from me because there was a radio station, one of the largest in the market. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to go and spend two days, a Saturday and a Sunday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. And the only thing I did was listen to the radio show, the radio station for 48 hours or as much as I could anyway. Yeah, of course. And write down every time they went to a commercial, every time they played, like if they did a funny bit, every time they played a song, what song they played. And when I, so he's like, we, do you mind doing this? You know, I'll pay you, you know, free hotel. You just got to go down and, you know, just record everything you hear when, you know, out to need the timeline. I was like, sure. You know, I was a young guy. I'm like, oh, that sounds fine. <laughs> I had no idea why. I, it didn't even dawn on me how silly it kind of seemed, but it seems kind of silly. Mm-hmm. But then I get back and he sits me down. And he goes, he's reviewing my notes. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, let's do some math here. And he's like, all right. So on Saturday, they did 18 commercials. They did, they played this song six times, that song five times. And interesting, they stopped playing this at four o'clock in the afternoon and they started the new life. And he's just like dissecting what I thought was mundane kind of, you know, like, what the heck am I writing down? He totally saw what it was. And what he was doing was he was dissecting their program. And he said to me, he goes, listen, we have a, we're a very small radio station. We have a very small budget. They are a million dollar radio station. They've done all the research. They know the market. Mm-hmm. All we're going to do is follow their lead. If they play a, a dance song at 7 a.m., we're playing a dance song at 7 a.m. If they go to news at 7.08, we're going to news at 7.08. They're that stuck with me. And I was like, oh, you know, you got to pay attention. And so fast forward, I told you that story to say this. So fast forward, 
I am, I'm running, I don't know, eight or 10 nursing homes. I'm running the housekeeping and laundry departments in nursing oh. homes. I work in healthcare. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And so similar to you, except I'm in healthcare. So nursing mm-hmm. home, school, same thing. Yep. Yep. I stop at McDonald's and I go to the bathroom and staring me in the face at the urinal is an advertisement for a night porter, a night porter. So they're looking for somebody to come in and clean from 11 PM until, you know, whenever you got done, cause you had to clean the fryers and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. they closed at 11 at the time. Now I think McDonald's, no, they're open 24 hours. So the drive through is anyway, but at the time they closed at 11. So yeah. they're looking for a night porter to come in and provide some cleaning services at 11 o'clock. I see the ad and I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I'm leaving. I'm in my car. I'm driving away. I stop and it dawns on me two things. Number one, they're looking for a guy. It's in the men's urinal. Amen. Above yeah. the urinal. It's in the men's mm-hmm. bathroom. I pull in. I run back in. I'm like, can I see a manager? Like, What's the matter? Nothing's the matter. Can I see a manager? What's the matter? Nothing's the matter. Manager comes out. I said, there is a recruitment sign in the bathroom for, an, uh, for a night porter. Like, yeah, do you know anybody? No. This is what I want to know. Do you have that same sign in the women's bathroom? And he says, I don't know. I said, can we check? He's like, why? I said, because I'm recruiting too. I'm just curious. We go in the women's bathroom. We don't go. He goes in the women's bathroom, comes back out and goes, no, there's no sign is in there. I knew it. They're recruiting for a man. Okay. It's fine to recruit for a guy. But it was the first time that I was like, whoa, talk about specific advertisement. Now I'm driving away and I'm just, I got churning because I'm constantly trying to hire, constantly trying to think of where to get staffed. Then it dawns on me even further. They're advertising in the store, in the restaurant that they are recruiting for, Mm -hmm. meaning the people who are going to apply go to that McDonald's, which means they have transportation. They live near it. You know what I mean? Like this is their McDonald's that they go to. And like, I I swear to God, my face fell off. I was like, Oh, this is brilliant. It's brilliant. You know? Yeah, no, that's phenomenal. And we always say, you know, success leaves clues. So obviously you're seeing that great turn of phrase, success leaves clues. Yeah. Great turn of phrase. So, I mean, when you see, like you were talking about, obviously you're, small radio station going, Hey, there's such a large radio station. Well, success leaves clues. Let's mock what they're doing. Let's, you know, obviously if they're going to play a dance song at 7am, I'm going to play a dance song at 7am. Obviously it's working, you know? So obviously you want to look for those clues. And obviously you pointed that out with the McDonald's restroom. I mean, it's just awesome. It's really, really great. And it just goes to show, you know, and I don't even know how I got on this subject. I think just with the small grocery stores aren't in business anymore. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you're either got to, emulate, follow the lead of those big giants or get eaten by them. Exactly. I think that, you know, truly understand your value and be able to sell the value, right? I mean, I think a lot of times they just play, you know, just like any industry, I don't, you know, whether it's the janitorial paints, groceries, they play the price battle and you're never always, you're never going to win the price battle. You know, there's a reason why 7-Elevens and gas stations still sell milk and still sell things. I mean, they're not going to win the price battle, but it's convenience. Their value is their location and they use it to their advantage, right? I don't know how many times we don't do that or we don't think like that. And we just try to play and fight the big guy one-on-one and you have to be strategic. And and I think that, uh, you know, sometimes they get away from that. You know, they just get away from the simple, take a step back. Like you said, take a step back, look at it. Hey, we're looking for a guy to clean our restaurant and we want a guy because it's at 11 at night, probably safety concerns, whatever they're going on in that area. Right. You know, it'd be better than a woman. So she's going to be cleaning fryers. It's heavy. It's hot. It's exactly. So again, you know, he was, they're very specific for a reason. I think, you know, so they thought that out. I think again, sometimes business owners, including entrepreneurs, employees ourselves, sometimes we just got to slow down, take a step back and simplify, you know, and just kind of what is our value and then obviously move forward with our value. Right. So what was your, so other than, so after you moved out of moving carts, what was your job when you got inside the store? What'd you do? Yeah. So just, I started stocking shelves, stocking shelves and just working in stock. And then I worked my way into the produce section. And then I became, by the time I was 18, I was the dairy manager. I kind of ran all the dairy, you know, everything coming in and out ordering, um, you know, which was cool. And then ended up by the time I was 19, I was the assistant store manager. So I, you know, I, was able to kind of move up. So been in leadership for a long, long time. So it started and again, there. Why did they choose you to be the leader? What was so special about you? Great question. I think they chose me because number one, I was committed. I was all in, you know, I never called off work and money was obviously essential to me living on my own. So I, 
it's one of our, my key values or strengths is work ethic. I, I, you know, I just love the work. I love to put in the work. So I think they saw that. Uh, I think I can talk to, I think even back then, even before, you know, you grow up and you're mature and you, you kind of learn how to speak to different people, you know, whether you're talking to a CEO or you're just talking to a janitor, it doesn't matter. You know, you have, there is some tonality and things that you learn along the way of how to have those conversations. So for me, I just really think it was natural to have those kind of conversations while I was talking to the owner, talking to a customer. I understood customer service. I enjoyed that. I, you know, that sense of accomplishment of, of uh, helping somebody, you know, and um, they saw that and, you know, I think they felt they had somebody good and they, and they, you know, gave me the opportunity and I didn't, you know, I didn't let them down, you know, because again, I didn't really have a father, you know, parent figure, you know, in my life. So, you know, I utilized them at the same time. So they were helping me mature and grow. And I was listening to their advice and they kind of took me under their wing and, and I gave back with, you know, hard work, dedication, showing up, do what I got to do. You know? Yeah. I like that. I like everything about that. I like that. We don't, you know, it's always ideal to have a mom and a dad in your life because they, you know, are the ones who probably have the most interest, generally speaking, in your well-being and For in sure. your, right? So it's best to have that. But if you don't have that, and many of us don't, mm-hmm. it's really great that there are other people who step up. And you know what? I bet it's the same for you as it was for me in the sense that I looked up to people who didn't even know I look up to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, <laughs> so many, so many. It wasn't yeah. like they were like, come here, Ralph, I'm going to take you under my wing. But the way they behaved and I saw their results and the way they you know, probably the same for you. And I was like, I want to be like that guy. Yeah, for sure. I think, thank God for Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn where I, you know, I've had the opportunity to reach out and find them again and reach out and say thanks because nice. again, you know, if you, there's a lot of people that have gotten me to the level of where I'm at. And I've had that opportunity to kind of step back and, and make sure I made that, that time to just shoot them a, text, an email, a message on Facebook, whatever, just to say thanks. Cause it is important. And I think, you know, they, like you said, they didn't have, you know, there's so many times I come back, I had no clue, you know, it's like, well, you did, man. And I appreciate it. And, you know, keep doing what you do, you know? Yeah. A million percent. And I remember that Rush Limbaugh who's passed away now, but I remember him yeah. saying he was the first one to actually kind of like, just say it. He probably just threw it, said it as a throwaway statement, but it really had an impact on me. And that is, he was talking about being good and working hard and keeping your head down and doing the right thing, even when nobody's looking mm-hmm. because, and he said that you are affecting more people than you will ever know, because most people will never have the opportunity to tell you. Mm-hmm. It's not that they wouldn't, or they, or they don't want to, they just simply don't have the opportunity to. So you just have to know in your heart and your mind that you are in the right path. And it's so great when you are able to go out and go, Hey, by the way, you really did help me out in this way. It's super awesome. No, definitely been blessed. And again, a lot of good people. And, you know, and that's obviously my role now is, is to, as a leader, is to continue to give back, take their lead and run with it, you know, let their legacy live on and, and then, you know, live on through me. So, I mean, obviously that's something I is dear to my heart. I really try to push forward with that. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. So when do you leave the grocery store and what do you do next? What's, yeah. what's the- <clears throat> so, you know, 20 years old, I ended up leaving the grocery store and, uh, Chasing money, you know, more money per hour, you know, right? Uh, that's what we do. Oh, yeah. And uh, that brought me into the paint and coatings industry. So I, I had uh, gotten a job for uh, a Benjamin Moore paint dealer and then, work, you know, worked there and, and then uh, really spent majority of my career working my way up in the coatings industry. So started out just, again, stocking shelves, pulling orders, then mixing paint, matching colors. Uh, which was a lot of fun. And then uh, got into like uh, supervisor, assistant manager, manager. Just uh, every time. Every, every time. time. Push, 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 push. You know, I just, yeah, just, you know, even changing companies along the way. You know, if another company had an opening for an assistant manager, I was applying. I, I just very eager to to succeed. I just, I didn't want to be a statistic. I didn't, you know, a lot of kids that I grew up with went the wrong way. You know, they, you know, eventually either got into drugs, got into other things. I didn't want to go down that road. So for me, it was, you know, push, push, push. And the only way who was going to push me was me. So I had a lot to prove to my family. So yeah, I just, again, continued to climb and then um, got, became a store manager, succeeded there. And I had my boss at the time, I was working for uh, Sheryl Williams and uh, my boss at the time, I wanted to be a sales rep. I was ready. You know, I just had a great year. I was up 62%. Um, wow. 
Yeah, they had a thing called the the flight award. It's like uh, if you win the award, you get like a trip. You get to go away for five days, and you know you could bring a, a significant other. And um, and I gave up the award because I wanted to be a sales rep. And another company heard that I wanted to be a rep, so they hired me in the Sherwin Williams parking lot. You know, the competitor, and uh, hired me on a spot, and then I got into outside sales. So. From there, again, just continued to push forward in the coatings. And uh, why did you go from wanting to be in charge to wanting to be in sales? Money. You know, yeah, money that was had, it. Yeah, I mean, well, money and then money was the main driver. I'm not going to lie, but I felt that as a rep, see, a lot of the reps, sales reps that I worked with were in charge. You know, they were coming to me, the store manager, telling me what to do, what I need to get done. You know, they were managing their territory, they were managing their teams. I felt that you know, there still was a significant role. I could have my cake and eat it too. You know what I'm saying? So, and then the freedom, you know, get out on the road, not going to one location every day, you know, kind of see if I'm disciplined, see if I'm committed. It's the ultimate test, right? It the is, ultimate test it of is. personal perseverance. And let's not, let's not pull any punches here. The person who brings in the cash is in charge. Hey man, I mean, I think that a lot of the times, you know, that was the goal and, you know, is to be the best and to become that number one sales rep. And um, I like chasing, you know, I mean, I just, I love the chase. I love to, you know, get after it and to continue to improve. I mean, simply, simply put is just, you know, I think that's what life, you know, not to get, you know, too philosophical here, but like you want, you know, we, if we're not trying to improve, what are we doing? You know, we're stuck. Right. I mean, we're stuck or we're going backwards. And, and I say that all the time. And it's like, you know what? I can't be stuck. I got to continue to push. So, yeah. So, yeah, I just really pushed into outside sales. And then, um, you know, obviously along that journey as well. I know I didn't bring it up, but along that journey as well, I got into law enforcement. On, on the, you know, I've always had more than one job. So um, how did you get journey, into law enforcement? What? How? What? Yeah. Yeah. So when I was my best friend at the time, when I was 21, his dad was the chief of police. So I spent wow. a lot of time. So I grew up in his house. I mean, I spent a lot of time there. And from, um, from running, here's the title. Yeah. Running, running the for the mafia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to law enforcement. Yeah. Well, law I saw that my friends at 17, 18 years old were getting arrested. You know, they were going down a different road. So <sighs> I jumped on the bandwagon with a friend of mine named Johnny, who uh, was on a football team. We played football together. Good kid and a uh, great kid. Amazing guy. And um, miss him. And I uh, just haven't, we kind of disconnected, you know, he's fine and everything. But uh, yeah, so he took me under his wing, his dad, his dad kind of filled that role for me too. And and I wanted to work for the department. So at 21, got the opportunity to be a part-time police officer and uh, had to pass a power test. So a power test is you got to like bench press 98% of your body weight. You got to do 37 sit-ups in a minute. You got to run a mile and a half in 1326. I'll never forget it. And then you have to do, uh, <laughs> you got to sit and reach. sick from it. <laughs> you got to touch uh, one inch past your toes. And uh, so I had to take the test and I failed it by... Um, not doing one sit up. I had 14 seconds to do one sit up. And it was like, um, I always say now that I'm older and gone through it is that God had his foot on my chest. He was like, you're not ready. You know, you weren't ready. And I wasn't, and I wasn't ready. And I'm blessed that I didn't have that. But later in life, when I was about 28, I got that opportunity to do it again. And grace of God, I did pass and got into the academy. And I've been a, also a part-time officer for 17 years. Wow. That's really great. Yeah. So doing, really doing all, yeah. So from sales, you know, so what I would do is obviously I do my sales thing during the day, you know, do some policing at night or on the weekends. And again, try to try to make that money, you know, and uh, have fun. Yeah, it's interesting how you got, you know, into the leadership and kind of got bit by that leadership bug because it is romantic. Right. I mean, it, it, it is. being in charge is the is the boy, it is a it is a feeling like no other, you know. And so I completely understand how you're just constantly trying to find it, find it, find it. And then it's interesting that you go into sales because it's almost like the, it's almost like it kind of to some who haven't done it. Cause I too went into sales. So I too went from managing a bunch of people into sales. And from a lot of people's perspective, it may look like you are being less in charge, mm -hmm. but you're actually being more in charge of the hardest person you've ever been in charge of you. Exactly. And, and the accountability is huge. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. It is super hard. You know, I, I think Mike Tyson was actually the guy who said it's hard to get out of silk sheets and go practice like you're an animal, like a starving animal. 
it's yeah. ve- you know it's very hard to get up and just get yourself moving you know yeah i felt that the store manager role was honestly like you know it was kind of like a the work came to me you know like if i'm the store manager they just walked in the door and i handled it right i mean my job was if somebody called my phone you know called the phone placed an order or they walked in the store i took care of it and i had to take care of it to the best of my ability right but I, obviously now i'm going from you know being fed to go out and hunt and I had to hunt and get after it. And that was a huge difference and an exciting challenge for me that I really wanted to experience. And it, it really obviously catapulted my life, my mindset, because there's days where you came home with no food. You know what I mean? There's, and then you had to get up the next day and get after it. And it, it no was, question. Uh, it was, and in the paint industry, it's man, that's a rough industry. Cause again, you know, you paint a building, you're not going back to do anything for five to six years. And who's to say you're the one that goes back you know, with the product uh, Mm -hmm. per se, it's not like the janitorial industry where it's residual, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're always going to need toilet paper, but that's a challenge in itself as well. So, you know, but the coatings industry, like if you had a great product and it worked and the contractors knew about it, it was easier to sell. It was a good sell because again, you had that confidence, you know? And then when you go into selling toilet paper and, you know, it's like, Man, everybody sells toilet paper. So what good is it? You know, like, now what? Now what? You know. What yeah. I mean? Now that, what? Indeed. That was the eye opener. That was the uh, wow. That was the challenge. So. So talk to me about the academy. How did that? What kind of effect did that have on your ability to lead? Law enforcement in general has really catapulted my leadership because you're, you know, you never go into a call. We call them, you know, a call, or you never go to a scene or something like that where you know they're celebrating someone's birthday. You know, they're not in a good mood. It's it's somebody having a very bad day. Right. And so for me, being in law enforcement, it helped leadership because it helped me listen. Number one, because uh, you got to listen. You know, obviously, they always say like what 70 percent of communication is listening. It's not what the words that come out of your mouth. So obviously, in law enforcement, if you're going to be a good officer, you have to listen. You really have to understand what's going on. Number two is you have to be able to talk through it and kind of, you know, help them get through that moment, whatever moment they're going through, whether they're speeding, a domestic, someone just passing away, you know, and you're the first person on scene trying to say, you know, I mean, there's so a car accident, you know, man with a gun, I mean, retail theft, I mean, they're stealing because they're homeless. I mean, just, I mean, I can go on for days. So a lot of that mental health, I mean, all that, oh man, mm -hmm. I mean, all those challenges that you face and it's so quick, you know, you're just constantly move, move, you know, go, go, go. And, um, you have to adjust and adapt to it real quick. And you can't have a bad day. You know, when you put that uniform on, you can't be in a bad mood, you know, regardless of if I was fighting my wife that day or, you know, I had to put my dog to sleep, whatever is going on in my life at the time doesn't matter. You know, what matters is their life. And that, that kind of helped me with leadership is understanding it's not about me. It's about the person in front of me. And I have to address whatever's going on with them to the best of my ability, listen, obviously, and then obviously be empathetic be humbled and how can I get them back out there and get after it? So it's really, I believe helped a ton. So. Yeah. I can't imagine it would do anything except to make you a better manager because it makes you more empathetic and it makes you more. What's the word? It makes you sharper. Mm-hmm. It makes you be able to go from situation to situation, the situation, to situation and be able to be the loud talker, the slow talker, the fast talker, the, you know what I mean? Like, because you have to read it every single time and adjust your cadence, adjust your approach, adjust your own attitude, you know, and you're always doing one thing, trying to find the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sometimes always. the solution is to haul you away. Sometimes the solution is just to separate you. Sometimes the solution is just to hear you out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, unfortunately, you have to make the decision. You have to go, all right, you're right. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah. You're both wrong, but this is how we're going to handle it. <laughs> you know, exactly. You're this less wrong than them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You didn't do as bad as that person. Who, but yeah. Who's least wrong. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, solution, you know, that is the goal. I mean, so, you know, solution selling or just solving problems. I mean, that's our goal and that's our role as a leader. And whether it's a leader in our household, you know, a leader as a parent, you know, Whatever we're doing, I mean, that is our our main goal is to solve that problem. And I think that's where it's really come into play and helped out a ton. So talk to me now. So what is it like? What does your job day to day look like now? What what are you doing now? Yeah. So, you know, good question. I do a lot. So obviously I'm, you know, assistant director of buildings and grounds. I have a director above me that, you know, like I said, together we 
we have a supervisor as well. So, you know, I mean, another, we have two assistant directors and a director. So there's a team of three that manage 120. So, you know, we got a big crew and uh, manage the 23 billing. So I do that. That's my, I'm on the afternoon shift. And then, so managing that, kicking off the school year, making sure we provide the training. I'm in control of, or in charge of like the training aspect of it, being on the field, kind of solving the problems, get, you know, doing a lot of that. And then on the flip side of things, I also own my own business doing consulting, kind of some of the things that you do. So kind of, I enjoy the education sector. So I uh, love to get out and work with directors and focus on leadership, training, you know, audits, you know, how can we improve, you know, with my company, we try to run a program called Simply Improve, you know, just kind of, I think the directors of buildings and grounds, and maybe you see this more even in the hospital sector. Um, I've worked with in the hospital sector quite a bit, but that was more on the sales side, not more on the consultant side or actually been in the shoes that you are in. But I think that a lot of the people that sit in that role and in that director role or facility management role, it's a reactive role, right? I mean, I think a lot of the a lot of the things you're doing is just putting out fires. Right? I mean, we don't just, want to be. We, exactly. We, we work our hardest. We work really hard to be proactive. We I can tell you, I can tell you all the problems we're gonna have tomorrow. Sure, sure. I can tell you every one of them today. Yeah. The challenge is not everybody's gonna believe me today that those are gonna be problems tomorrow. And then when they come up tomorrow, nobody's gonna say, Oh, like, oh, you called it. Nobody cares that I called it today. Exactly. You know, exactly. The problems, the problems I bet that you have that I have, they're not unique today to tomorrow. They're they repeat on account, you know, sometimes weekly, daily. <laughs> so I we try our hardest to be proactive, but it's it's still a challenge. It's always a challenge. And again, mm-hmm. it's nice to have that, you know, for me, what's helped me and my business on the consultant side has been being able to give that outside opinion to, for me to focus on proactive, bring those proactive solutions to the table as options, not, you know, suggestions, not that, hey, this is what we must do, but this is, these are some things that have worked for us, you know, and it also gives opportunity to team up and get other eyes to it. You know, a lot of times maybe our pride gets in the way. We don't reach out to other districts or reach out to other people in the industry that do what they do. You know, maybe we kind of get the advice from like awesome things like this podcast where people talk and, you know, you kind of hear their story and hope that you could pull a little nugget out, you know, that kind of help you through. But the answers are out there. Like I said, success leaves clues in the beginning. And, you know, we just have to have the ability to ask and reach out and just get after it. So I enjoy that. That's the funnest part. I think that the custodial mindset has always been something that's intrigued me, you know, and something that I've always been trying to figure out. And, you know, why are you in your role? How can we make that role better? How can we show the value? I think COVID obviously lit it up, right? I mean, they put a big bullseye on the custodial staff in a good sense, and it could be negative as well. It depends on how you view it or how they view it, right? But for us, I think it's really opened the eyes and I just really want to take it and run with it, you know? And so, you know, that's kind of where we're at today. How did, how was COVID for you guys last year? I mean, do you guys, I can't imagine you stayed open the whole year. I don't know, pardon me. I know that what we did here in New York I know New York was a challenge. How was it for you guys? Yeah, we followed the same footprint pretty much for than you guys. I mean, we were e-learning majority of the year. You know, yeah. it took like the last three months that we get, you know, probably 20% to 40% of our students back. Never, nowhere near as close as we thought. So we pretty much, you know, when I talk to my team here and even some other teams that I work with on my in my business, it was 18 months of summer mass cleaning. You know, I mean, that's pretty much what it was. And, you know, it was really try to, we used it to the best of our ability to advance these buildings. You know, when you got a lot of old buildings and, and you know, we were painting, changing ceiling tiles, painting ceiling grids. I mean, That's really we were, great. So you guys were able yeah. to stay busy at least. Oh, my God, Good man. We you. really, yeah, we really put in a ton of work. My team was phenomenal. I mean, I'm so proud and blessed for the effort that they put in. And and I'll tell you right now, we just did training on Friday night, you know, and I, I stood there and I'm like, you know, told them that, you know, something they didn't think they were going to hear. And it's like, you made it, you made it through it, you know, and they were so, you know, they're just like, ah, finally, we're going to get back to some simplicity, some normalcy. Are you, are you guys um, going back full 100%? Today is day one. Yeah. Nice. Day one. Everybody was in the building today. So good for uh, you. Yeah. Super excited, you know, for them and you know, what a sense of accomplishment for the team. And again, it's their hard work that opened up the doors today, you know? So yeah, that's um, really great. Blessed and honored for that. We are anticipating the same here. My wife is a school teacher, and so she has really str- – she hated the remote option. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there are some teachers, I think, here in New York City who are striking because they still want to work from home. They do not want to go to school. And 
It is. What a nightmare it has been to try to teach kids remotely. I teach adults remotely and it's a challenge. I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I can't get sure. adults to focus. <laughs> Could you imagine a 15 year old with a cell phone? I mean, forget <laughs> it. Forget it. You know, got to start handing out Adderall to everybody. Here you go. Here's an Adderall for your session so you can focus. All right, dial it. Stop seeing squirrels. You know, you got to have a squirrel across the screen and you're done, you know. So, a million percent. There's got to be something. <laughs> no, so thank God we too are going back to school 100%. And I'm super happy to hear that you guys didn't have any backfall, you know, with any, you guys weren't laid off at all, it sounds like, which is really great. No, not at all. I mean, no school district really in our state. I mean, honestly, the state did pump a lot of money into the districts. I think they really did do a nice job of keeping us going. I mean, there were seven yeah. weeks we didn't do nothing at all, but we got paid, you know. Oh. We just, you know, which was awesome. You know, the first from March 13th, you know, when they shut the world down, you know, for first seven weeks, I mean, our superintendent said, hey, stay home, stay safe. Let's figure this out. Yeah, um, yeah. Us as admin, good. you know, we were in the buildings, we were checking everything and kind of going through, you know, doing our thing. But, you know, we just kept everybody home, everybody safe. And then we slowly brought them back. And then we got after the buildings. We knew it was going to be a while. And so we utilized that opportunity to really impress and advance the schools. That's really smart. Did you guys, and I imagine the answer is yes. Did you have to go to like the partitions, the plastic, the when you did eventually bring kids back last year, you know, the 20, 30 percent, did you guys have to create these desk partitions and all this stuff? Yeah, yeah great question. Uh, you know, we did more. We didn't do the desk shields. Like I know some of the dish, there was, you know, some of the customers that I work with, they did that. They brought in like every desk had a shield on it. Um, yeah, we did. We here. Just, yeah. So for us, we didn't invest our money there. We invested our money in shields with the teachers if they uh. were sitting up close. We really focused on the physical distance part, keeping the desk six feet apart, uh, keeping the teacher, you know, that distance away, keep the mask on, obviously kept them eating in the rooms, you know, stuff like that. And it wasn't a full day either. It was only for about four and a half hours. So we would, they would get breakfast in the morning, but they were taking lunch home with them. So, you know, oh, we fed, our district fed well over a million meals oh, wow. to our community, not just students, but just the community in general. They, that was a big push that we did as well. We had you know, our food service team was fantastic, you know, getting after it four days a week, feeding our local community. So it was awesome. One of the biggest challenges that we had here, and I know a bunch of people who cleaned schools, public schools, and also went to the partition where we were partitioning each desk and offering all it provided. And, you know, now we're looking into the new school year. It provided a lot more cleaning surface areas. And we're already, you know, we struggle with staffing. I don't know if you guys are struggling to get staff. Oh my God, we, yeah, yeah. We're struggling to get staff. So to add more cleaning space and reduce the workforce is, you know, kind of like the perfect storm of what are you kidding me kind of thing, you know? So I know that, I know that here we are desperate to start a huge pile of plastic shields and just throw them out in the dump. You know what I mean? Like everybody just wants to I know. stitch them out as fast as possible. Just because of the cleaning work surface, we did, it's just too much. It's too for much. Sure, for sure. I totally agree. I mean, our team struggled, obviously, with all the extra tasks. And, you know, our focus, obviously, is is safety, you know. So, you know, we talk to our team and say, hey, you know, you miss spot mop in a classroom. So, roger that. We're good. You know, if you miss something, you know, the, obviously, the areas is the, all the touch points. You know, we really, our main focus is touch points. And then with proper disinfection, giving them the right tools, electrostatic technology, which has been huge. You know, obviously that's launched and taken off and, you know, we've dove into that and just getting them the right tools to work smarter, not harder, understanding their pain, that they're going to be limited, you know, to what they can and can't do. And then obviously just making sure they have clear expectations on the safety portion of the, making sure that when our kids walk into a building, yeah, okay, we might have missed something on the floor or, or that, but you know, again, you're going to be safe and you're going to go home safe. And that's really the message that we're trying to send. And and obviously the restrooms is where you get 80% of your complaints. So we're, you know, that's the main focal point. So obviously that's our goal. That's our focus. That's what we're preaching. And, you know, for us. So, yeah, that's really smart. That's really great. I love that. It's taken me a long time to recognize it, but the customer in a school is the teacher, not the student. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting way to look at it because my first real job was cleaning my high school mm -hmm. between So I had the same thing where we had a little work to work program between eighth and ninth grade. So when I was 14 into my 15th year, I got my first job cleaning as a janitor cleaning. It's how I got the nickname, the housekeeper. It wasn't oh, okay. a compliment. It was, uh, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> have you ever, have you ever seen the movie, the breakfast club? 
Yes, I have. Many All right, times. so you know that part where the janitor comes in and one of the kids knows him? Yeah, exactly. And they're like, is cool. your dad the janitor? Yeah. So <laughs> – I knew all the janitors because, of course, I worked all summer with them. Awesome. And it took about eight seconds for people to catch on. And <laughs> <laughs> they were ruthless. It wasn't a good, it wasn't a compliment. Anyway, <laughs> you made I it didn't through. mind it. I didn't you made it through. I'm proud I of you. made it through. I made it through. <laughs> I certainly did. But I don't even remember what my point was on bringing up that I worked in the schools. The teacher, you're talking about teachers and your Oh, customer. the teacher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I thank you so much for that. I, when I was cleaning the schools, when I was, you know, that young, I was cleaning for the other kids. I wasn't, but I never heard a single kid ever complain. Like I would see the wax on the floor and I'd be like, this room looks amazing. And they were like, we have a math homework. What are you talking about? You know, like they had no, they didn't even know a floor existed. You know what I mean? They didn't (laughs) even know it was there. You know, like there's a floor here, you know? (laughs) No, exactly. You know, and if you like recently, obviously going to board meetings now and, you know, being spending a lot of time in those, I mean, the number one complaints are the teachers. I was like, wow, it's crazy that they're up there talking about how they have to wear masks. And, you know, in other areas, we know it's too hot in the classrooms and things like that. You know, so all the complaints come from there. Yeah. A hundred percent. That is our customer. And all the, and in nursing homes, the customer is a little more fluid where it is the resident, it's the mm-hmm. family member, it's the community at large, but the main customer is the nursing. And that's, mm-hmm. and to even put a finer point on it, the main customer is the administration. And you don't know that's true until they're out of toilet paper or <laughs> And you know, you have to go, oh, how many people use this bathroom? Only I do. Okay. Here. <laughs> I was just in a morning meeting getting my butt handed to me because the bathrooms are disgusting. And I find out what bathroom is the only one you use. Okay, exactly. You're disgusting. I mean, yeah. <laughs> maybe you're the problem. I just identified the issue. I just identified you. I would never say. I would never <laughs> I say. Know, I'm saying it to you, you know, privacy between you and me that they wouldn't listen. Peace and love. <laughs> Nurses. Just, just make sure the check clears, please help me. <laughs> yeah, no question. No question. It's an interesting, it's an interesting, you know, conversation to have who is your customer. And a lot of times it's not who we think it is. Correct. You know, a lot of times we think the customer is the student. We think the customer is the resident. We think the customer is the patient in the hospital. Most of the time, if you're in a nursing home, if you're in a hospital, or if you're a student at school, the mm-hmm. last thing you're thinking about is how this place looks. Exactly. Right. I exactly. mean, you don't go in with a broken hip and go, I wonder if the corners and edges are clean. Yeah. Do, do we get the high dusting in the top of the window? You know, exactly. Yeah. Is the top of the partition dusted off? Yes, exactly. You know, they, exi- you know, running out of toilet paper is the major issue. So exactly. Or soap or sanitizer, whatever. Yeah. No, I, exactly. I get it. Yeah. And understand where the complaints are going to come from and how to address it, you know, and just being able to respond quickly. You know, obviously that's the key. So. Yeah, it's about being proactive. And so how are you seeing this year? This year is going to be a lot easier than last, I imagine, or maybe not. Now that you have a full student full student body, maybe it's not going to be easier. I, well, I think, again, I think anybody listening to this today, you know, and they're seeing, and just like you brought up earlier, our challenge today is staffing. So obviously continuing to find people to fill the gap and, you know, to we're down 25 people right in day one, you know, so here we're going into day one today, we're down 25 and you know, when you get people calling off sick, taking vacation time, which they've earned, a personal day, which they've earned, you know, and you can't fill that spot. And we're pushing people over time. You know, it's not going to take long before they get burned out. And it's not going to take long before, you know, we're not hitting our touch points. We're not hitting that safety factor. So I think, you know, our eyes are open to that. I think we're really pushing hard to fill that gap, fill that void. We have solutions. We got solutions on their way, you know, using different staffing networks and you know, other areas that are going to help us through it. And, you know, once we get that off off and running, I think we'll be fine. And then obviously once the government starts giving away free money, you know, in the unemployment line, you know, and getting these people, open the doors for these people to come back to work. We're going to have open doors and take them. You're seeing the same problem then that we are. Yeah. Cause that is, that is a big problem that we're having, but that, you know, it's not a new problem. And in fact, you know, what's super interesting is I've been in housekeeping for more than 20 years. I've been my whole adult life. Basically, I've been in cleaning in the cleaning field and we've always struggled with staffing. We've always it's always been an issue. It's why things like electrostatic cleaners are so helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't think they do a very good job personally well, exactly. because because they nothing takes place than an actual hand with a rag full of germicide. Nothing. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and, and disinfectants have no penetration power, which means 
it's only topical. So if you have a drop of blood that's eighth of an inch tall, which is very thin, understand that every microbe can live in that piece of blood, even if you spray it with a disinfectant. Because the disinfectant can't penetrate. It only does a surface thing. You know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. My point no, is, I is appreciate that, it though. Yeah. My point is that that those thank God for the for microfiber. Thank God for electrostatic, you know, the Clorox three sixty with the wraparound mm-hmm. technology. Thank God for all that. Not because it does the best job, but because it does any job, which is we're not getting staff to do is even show up to do any job. So it's gosh. Well, I mean, I think the hands down, I mean, as you know, I mean, statistically, the average, you know, turnover rate is 200 percent could go up to 400 percent in the cleaning industry, whether you're contract cleaner, school, hospital, whatever. You know, it's the hardest job to do because you're asking them to do the job. At the latest time of the day, you're, you know, the off hours when they want to be with their family, going to bed, what we're, you know, normal, you're asking them to clean toilets, which how can that be fun? You know, and then obviously, and then all the, you know, and then us as leaders, right? I mean, this is where it's even more important, where we don't give the acknowledgement and the thanks and the praise for the job that they do do. And we just point out the negatives. If we are that type of leader and we continue to point out their flaws, we're just adding to the problem. And I think that is something that is huge for me and my team and what we do is is try to get those accolades as much as possible, you know, celebrate the small wins. And that could be a weekly thing. It could be a daily thing. It could be whatever. I mean, we have to celebrate those small wins, especially in this industry more now than ever. And I think that's huge. There's a great book called The One Minute Manager. Yeah, I love it. I have it. Oh, good. All right. So it's probably had, you know, at the, you know, every book lands in your lap at a specific time in your life, right? So and that book landed for me at the right time. Cause I did not understand. I broke every one of those rules. He only has three, <laughs> you know, the one minute manager is really three rules. I was breaking <laughs> all three of them. Like I was like a trifecta of failure. <laughs> and, and it really, it really helped me. You know, one of them is to spend, you know, 30 minutes a week, one day, 30 minutes, trying to point out, find people doing something right. Exactly. Because, you know, when you work in the cleaning industry, all I ever look for is dirt. Exactly. And by the way, I don't even have to be good at it. I can find it everywhere, right? You don't even have to be very good at finding no. Cobwebs grow every single day. <laughs> Dust is falling constantly. People aren't you know, wiping their feet off. I mean, it's always one weather or another. And so that whole reminder to try to point out people doing something correct and recognizing them for it is very important. The other book that I would really, again, kind of fell in my lap at the right time is a book about Abraham Maslow. Maslow on management. Wow. Okay. It is. So first of all, it's a tough book to read because he's basically dictating notes while he walks around a factory floor because Abraham Maslow was a psychologist who was very interested in the psych, why people do certain things. But then he stumbled upon, he got invited to go and do some observations in a factory. And he was like, what? There's a whole new organism, you know, there's a whole new thing. Studying human behavior outside of work is one thing. Inside of work, a whole other thing. People are dynamic and teams and us against them. And like, there's all these things. And one of the things that he talks about is the idea of a knowledge, a knowledge society, meaning all work is based on your ability to know the job. And once the person has the ability to do the job, they no longer work for you out of necessity. They work out of you out of desire, work for you out of desire. Because once they teach you how to clean a school, you can go to any school. Mm-hmm, exactly. The reason you stay for me is because I'm a halfway decent employer, because I'm a halfway decent boss. Exactly. If you don't understand that and embrace that, to your point, you're going to be in a lot. So Abraham Maslow kind of puts it on his head. When you work in a knowledge worker environment, which we clearly do, it, it all of a sudden you're competing with every other employer. Mm-hmm. of similar jobs. So it behooves you to treat everybody like a volunteer. Why do people volunteer? Because they get meaning out of it, because they want to make a difference, because they want to see their work, they want to grow. So those are all the reasons why, or that you should be touting to your current staff, even though you're paying them, give them all those things that you would give a volunteer. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, you know, a lot of things, you know, if there's anything I could wrap, you know, wrap up leadership, or, you know, around is three simple words is what I try to follow. And it's three words that obviously changed my life. And and that is why before what. And when we think about as leaders, a lot of times we respond to what people do, but we never think about why they do it. You know, whether you're talking about your marriage, you know, is where it's helped me a lot. Being a dad, it's helped me a lot. When my kids is just, you know, focusing on the why, you know, why are they not doing what we're asking them to do? 
and diving into the why, you know, it's so easy for us, you know, it's especially like going back to like my law enforcement, right? Someone's speeding, you know, okay, they're speeding. That's exactly what they're doing. I could easily write them a ticket, have a nice day. I could respond to what happened. You know, me as trying to be a better officer, trying to make a difference out there in the world today is to ask them, why were you going so fast? Is it just your nature? Is it, and then get an understanding and a communication dialogue to get a better understanding. Some people just don't care and they're going to do what they do and they get the ticket. They get the, you know, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes, right? So, but I think as a leader, we really need to step back and try to ask the question why, you know, like recently I had a guy that, you know, HVAC is huge right now. Humidity is over 80% in Chicago. And we know we love that. Right. And, um, you know, we're opening our schools and he just wasn't keeping up and just struggling. He was struggling. One of my maintenance guys. And, you know, I could easily respond to that. I could write him up. I could yell at him. I could, you know, do a lot of different things, but I asked him why, you know, what's going on, man? What's up with you? And sat down, pulled him in my office, had a one-on-one and come to find out he's going through a divorce, you know, a really bad divorce. And, um, you know, and it opened up the door of saying, okay, now, instead of, Hey, I'm going to write you up. It's now, how can I help you? You know, how can I step in to make your job easier right now? Because your life is not easy. And as a leader, you know, it changed things. You know, I got, you know, just a text from him on Sunday, just saying, Hey, I was thinking about you, you know, just wanted to say, thanks. You know, I really appreciated our conversation on a Sunday, you know, I mean, obviously it hit home and, and, you know, those are things that make us different and really take us to the next level as leaders. And I hope that, you know, people really dive into the why, you know, why we do things instead of what people do and, and really focus in on that. I think it will really help, you know. Agreed. I think every time something's not getting done, it's always, there's always two reasons. It's either because it was not the fault of the person who was supposed to do it mm-hmm. or it was their fault. Exactly. But if we're not curious to find out if it was or it wasn't, mm-hmm. or, you know, because I mean, there are yeah. times we can't get things done because the elevator breaks. Exactly. I mean, it's something as silly as an elevator going down, which by the way, they go down a lot (laughs) (laughs) in the healthcare industry. I'm sure (laughs) it is amazing. If I had a a nickel for every time I had an elevator problem, good Lord. I mean, it it seems to happen an uncanny amount of time and who knows why, but so, but it could be, that could be the dryer went down. It could be, you know, out of their control reasons. It could be that it could be that the, there was a, this recently happened where there was a shooting on in the town and had nothing to do with our nursing home, had nothing mm-hmm. to do with anything, but it did prevent the bus from getting across town. And oh, so man. everybody who rode the bus was mm-hmm. 60 minutes late because of the shooting. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Not their fault. I mean, exactly. could you imagine them walking in the door and getting written up because they weren't on time? And, you know, and I know people would be like, well, then you should have taken an earlier bus. Listen, I'm not taking I'm not taking a 4:30 a.m. bus to be at a job at seven. You know, exactly. In case there's a shooting. In case know, there's a shooting. Exactly. You know, I agree. Right. So you know, I'm just reiterating what you're saying. You know, it's, but there's always two reasons. It's either their fault or not their fault. And if it is their fault, that's a completely different conversation than if it's not their fault. Yeah, and a lot of times it comes down to just did we as leaders provide clear expectations? You know, did we communicate right? How many times, you know, in what we do, we assume, right? You know, obviously what that means. So, you know, a lot of times we assume they know what they're supposed to do. They know what they assume they can get it done. They assume they have the right tools. You know, we, we provided everything and, and we, you know, and they're afraid to obviously speak up. They don't want to be the, the, you know, the squeaky wheel and get in trouble or, you know, get pushed back or, you know, maybe you yelled at them one time because you were in a bad day and then it, they take that, you know, they use that to the rest of their career, you know, so. You never know. And it's just for us to kind of reiterate and have that conversation to say, hey, you know, a lot of times it is us. And that going back to where we started, which is amazing, is that we have to apologize. You know, we apologize and we move forward if that's the case, if that's the case. If that's the case. I I do want to give you the last word because we're we're out of time. And I and I I I just want to. But I'm not going to. I want (laughs) to. I'm not going to. No, (laughs) no. I, uh, how do I say this? I appreciate the conversation when it is all about how do we as leaders, as managers, as the people who say that we are going to be responsible, we are okay with having the, you know, be responsible for the outcomes. I'm all on board with wanting to get better. I am all on board with trying to figure out if it, you know, how to make things happen faster, quicker to get more buy-in. I'm, I'm all for, for, I'm all for pizza parties and blue jeans on Fridays and, 
pats on the back and recognition and thank you cards. I'm all for it. I really am. But I'm also not of the, I'm not, I don't believe in the mantra that all employees are wonderful and all managers can do better. I, most employees can do better. Most employees don't take the time to go, what am I doing wrong? And that is perhaps the difference between us. I'm no, I, willing to say it, you know. I think I agree 100%. I think the struggle that we all have as leaders. I'm more pro-management than I am anti or than I, I am more, yeah, pro-management than I am anti-management. And I'm a lot pro-man, I'm more anti-employee than I am anti-manager. You know, I don't know how if I'm saying that correctly, but I'm far more on the side of leadership and people who say I'll be in charge than I am to think that there's managers out there just rolling over you know, well-intentioned employees. Not that it doesn't happen. I, you know, it just doesn't happen to the extent, in my opinion, as much as it's reported. Yeah, I think that, again, I think that leadership, there's a lot to it, right? And I think we're touching on just a couple aspects of it. I think the key point to leadership and where you know, a lot of us struggle is the accountability aspect of it. You know, we, you know, one term that I use is we have to kick the crutches out first. And that's what I believe. So if we kick the crutches out, if we take away all the excuses, if we remove that piece, then it's on them. But until we do that, I truly believe it's on us. So, you know, if we give them the tools that they need, if we have the conversations, if we make sure we train them properly, if we make sure that we are empathetic at times, that's one thing. But then there comes a point, like you're saying as well, that the employee has to step up. Again, going back to where we started, how about being on time? How about wearing a uniform? How about, you know, you know, yeah. How about you get paid for set, you know, eight and a half hours for doing seven and a half hours of work. Give me four hours. I'd be happy with four. You know what I mean? You know, as well as I, you know, we can't do the, you know, trash and dash, you know, that's not the way, you know, we, that's not what we hired you for. Anybody can do trash and dash in our buildings. So again, it's just, there is, there's a lot of truth to that. The accountability portion is the final piece, but a lot of people use that as the first piece. And that's kind of what I get to. And, is that that doesn't have to be that way. You know, kick the crutches out, you know, get the excuses out of the way, then let's have an adult conversation. And from there, I'm sorry, you know, it's going to work out in my favor more than yours. If that's Yeah, the case. no, I, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. You said that you have a consulting company. How do people find you? How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it's called M2D LLC, Made to Deliver Solutions. We're on LinkedIn. Obviously, that's the key. We push LinkedIn heavy. Uh, look us up on LinkedIn. And we do have a website in the works up and running. Uh, it's just, again, putting the transition in. I'm a busy guy and, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to, I need to focus obviously more on the promoting aspect of the marketing of it, but I'm really just taking it, you know, I put my heart and soul into it and to really try to advance our custodial team and and work with our directors out there and give them an extra help in hand just to you know, make change in this industry. So yeah, we're the best place is LinkedIn. So look us okay. up on LinkedIn. And then I from will, there, I'll, we'll take I'll, with your permission, I'll put your do. link in the show notes. so Everybody can connect with you here as well. So that'd be really fantastic. And by the way, do you speak at all? Do you belong to like the National Speakers Association? Have you done anything like that? Not, no, not not yet. I'm, I, you know, I do a ton of speak. Obviously, that's yeah, we're going to have do. to get you signed yeah. up because we're going to have to get you involved in the yeah. National Speakers Association. You got you have a fantastic chapter out there too. So out, out in Chicago, so it's actually I think you have a few to choose from. I think there's a bunch of places all around there that are offering all kinds of mentoring and just knowledge on how to get more speaking gigs, which is of course the whole backbone of trying to be a thought leader, trying to influence, try to help people, Amen. you know, yep. to get better. And, and leadership is so needed and that subject matter is so needed. So I'm going to hook you up. I'm going to get you in I, touch with hey, somebody. Tagging you in, man. Thanks nice. for the help. I appreciate it. You're I, welcome. I love the support anyways. And again, thank you for this. Thank you for today. Thank you for everybody who listened. I love you. I appreciate you. I, I always say this whenever I do a speaking is do us a favor, do Ralph and me a favor. Tell somebody you love them today. Reach out to somebody. Tell them you love them because we all need to hear that, especially right call now. Your dad. Yeah, call your call dad. Yeah, call somebody. Yeah. Amen, right? So, Everybody's always uh, like, call your mom. Call your dad. <laughs> call your dad. Yeah, really call your dad. dad. Call us once so, in a while. We need love too, you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking to my own kid. Call your dad. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important, you know what yeah. I mean? But I appreciate your time. Thank you.
That's so awesome. That's it. The Housekeepers Podcast. This has been truly the cleanest hour in podcasting. It's been so much fun. Thank you, Rob, so much for Thank you. Thank you. coming on. If, as Rob was saying, if you enjoyed today's show, please make sure that you tell everybody. You're like, oh, they got to listen to this show, the Housekeepers Podcast. I saw somebody's post the other day and I had shared, you know, we're going to have the, the show and somebody wrote, they shared the post and they, they didn't share it with me. They shared it on their own social media, but I got the notification. So I was able to see it. Awesome. And they said, I know that this may not seem like something for you. Maybe it sounds like a boring subject because it's cleaning. She goes, but I love this stuff. I was like, I don't know who she is, but I too. You know, speaking my language, love this stuff. So awesome. if you like us, like this stuff, if you really like the discussion between behind cleaning and business and leadership and mentoring and everything that is so super great with this industry, please make sure that you subscribe to our show, share the show, write a review of the show, would really appreciate you. And of course, if you have or know someone or you are someone who owns a cleaning business, you're in the cleaning industry and you would like to be on the show, be considered to be on the show, please reach out to me. Send me a direct message. Send me an email at info at ralphpeterson.com and we'll see about getting you on the show. We're always looking for fantastic guests like my friend Rob Bernardi. Bernardi. Rob Bernardi going from Mafia to the police officer. (laughs) It's amazing where these conversations go, Ralph. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to go there, but who knows? Who knows? That's that's the gift of podcasting. We go everywhere. This is like the, you don't know it, but this is like the lasso of truth. Everybody tells the truth when you're on a podcast. So (laughs) that's it. Rob Bernardi, Ralph Peterson, the Housekeepers Podcast. We'll see you guys. That's it, the Housekeepers Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. Keep in mind, the best way to ensure that you never miss an episode of the Housekeepers Podcast is by subscribing to the show and following us on social media. For those of you who are more visually stimulated, you can always watch us record the show live each week on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. In fact, we post all of our videos on YouTube, so make sure you are subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you love the show and you want to help us out, please consider writing a review and sharing the show with all your friends and families and colleagues. And if you are looking for more information about today's guest, all of their contact information and the links to their websites are in the show's notes. That's it. Until next time, this has been the cleanest hour in podcasting. I am Ralph Peterson, and I'll see you later.